This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meaningful Sport Podcast, and I am your host, Nora Ronkainen. Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of Meaningful Sport. Today we are discussing flow in sport, exercise, and physical activity. I'm delighted to be discussing these questions and and topics with Dr. Trish Chuckman, who is a lecturer in sport and exercise psychology at the University of Lincoln. Trish has published several articles on flow, including two recent review articles, one focused on exercise context and the other on youth sport, physical activity and physical education. You will find the links to these reviews in the podcast show notes. Welcome to the podcast, Trish, and thanks for finding the time for our discussion. Thank you, Nora. It was a real honor to be asked to to speak on your podcast. I've been listening to it for a number of months now on some of my many walks, so it's been a uh, really looking forward to having this discussion. I really look forward to this as well. And flow is such a fascinating concept, and I think we all have some experiences of that, whether we have a name of flow for it or or not. So uh, I think as a start, like when we were talking about doing the podcast and we exchanged some emails about the lived experience of flow and and one of the things you mentioned about your childhood experiences in sport, that there was this something in these experiences and it took you until university to find out what this experience was or or to find a name for that experience. And so certainly many experiences in sport and physical activity are so difficult to put into words, but let's let's just try anyway. So um, as a start, it would be very nice to hear uh, some memories from, from your involvement in sport when you were young. Yeah, so I suppose that a good starting point is probably to tell you a little bit about the sport that I primarily came from um so my sport was camogie which some people may be familiar with the sport of hurling which is played by men and camogie is the women's version and the sport of hurling or camogie they're uh, games that are native to Ireland and they will be considered part of our, our national games and I suppose growing up in Ireland the the traditional thing would be that most people will be part of their Gaelic games club um, so the Gaelic Athletic Association will be the overarching body. Um, the Camogie Association will be um, the national governing body for the sport that I played. And I suppose I started playing at quite a young age and really enjoyed playing. And I think it would have been in my early teenage years when 
I suppose I started to reflect a little bit more on performance and my experiences and a little bit more about psychology. Um, there were a couple of techniques I started to use. Um, you know, I can even recall one of them when I was 12, 13 years of age and someone telling me about this, this idea of visualizing success. And I thought that this would be great. So as it turns out, it was obviously some imagery. And I suppose I started to get curious about experiences where we didn't necessarily win the games or we didn't necessarily come away with medals or trophies. And despite all of that, I would come away with a sense of maybe some disappointment in terms of losing, but come away and think I really enjoyed the experience. So if you were to park and put the, the results to one side, the experience for me was was really different and it really stood out. And I suppose over time that, that started occurring more often. And as I got older and I started to play on, on different teams and started to become aware, more aware that these experiences were actually happening. And it wasn't really until I got into the second year of my university degree and as luck would have it, our lecturer pretty much had a, a list of 20 essay titles. And I think I was down to a few that were left. And I happened to quite fortunately get one that was on optimal experience. And it, it essentially, I stumbled on, on it a little bit in that respect. And as soon as I started reading this area and reading about this literature, I just thought that's it. That's what I've been trying to, to, to capture and um, I felt that the, the term and the, the concept really captured those experiences. Um, and from there, it was pretty much I wanted to know more about that. Initially, it was it was very much about, I suppose, I was coming at it from a performance angle. I was, you know, performing at a reasonably high level, the elite level within within that sport. And that was my initial driver. I wanted to know more about that. But then I suppose over time, as I've developed as a researcher and moved on my interests have broadened more so into I suppose the, the benefits of flow more so in terms of positive other positive psychological outcomes that we can attain from it so yeah it was it was a little bit fortuitous how I stumbled upon it in the end um but I was very grateful that it, that I did happen to, to stumble on it and um yeah it, it was great to actually be able to then put into some words and, and in our case, a, a psychological construct to capture what it was I was experiencing. Um, so that's a little bit of an overview as to how I came into knowing about flow and, and where the, the curiosity for me originally stemmed from. Yeah, that's quite fascinating. And I think for many of us, there are these parts of our sport experience. And when we read about that in, in the literature, so, oh, okay, that helps to somehow capture what I've experienced mm -hmm. and ah, oh, that makes sense and, and so on. So let's then start to conceptualize flow a little bit. So what is flow? And I think already what you mentioned that these flow experiences were something that maybe started to happen more frequently. So my follow-up question is then that is flow something that simply happens or or is there something that can be done to 
cultivate flow in in sport so yeah two questions yeah. So, <laughs> wherever you want to start yeah. yeah so i suppose in terms of flow it will be defined as an intrinsically rewarding psychological state where people feel really in control of of what they're doing and almost the sense of being on autopilot as though you're performing automatically without the the usual levels of conscious or critical thought we often have and often this can happen in what would be perceived as challenging situations in terms of flow and does it happen and, and can we cultivate or control it i think that's a really interesting question and I think there are probably different views with respect to that. In recent years, a lot of our qualitative work has started to unpick maybe some of the contexts in which flow may occur. So what we found in athletes and exercises is that people tend to report that flow occurs when they're in contexts that they perceive are exploratory or they're experimenting. So, for example, if you're a runner and maybe you're going to a new distance for the first time and or perhaps you're trying out a new skill or trying out something new in a different way. Or what people often say is that they're just not performing in a way that is pressured. So they don't actually feel that there is pressure on them to perform and there's almost a, um, a lowering of expectations in some respect. So in terms of the context, I think that's quite an important finding in recent years. In terms of can we control it, I think I think one of the ways that I often think about flow is it's a little bit like the perfect storm where you almost need everything to come together in many ways. And I think that's both from a context perspective and also you as an individual. And if we look at flow and what athletes and exercises tend to report in some of our qualitative studies in recent years is this idea that flow is almost like a, a gradual process that will unfold and it often starts with with something really good happening to you in an event so you get some uh, off to a positive start in a race for example or you get some positive feedback and because of that, your confidence boosts. And that seems to be a really important part where people actually feel a sense of belief, which is is almost unusual. Um, they, they almost feel like they could try something and they may be able to, to achieve it or, or to succeed and execute maneuvers. And after that confidence starts to build, people then maybe start to challenge themselves. And that is almost a sense of, you might push yourself out of your comfort zone a little bit more or try something a little more difficult. And the final aspect, which has been really interesting in the last couple of years, which has started to come through with this idea that when people are experiencing flow, they don't tend to report the typical, specific, measurable, time-based goals that are so customary in the sports domain or, or the exercise domain. And they tend to report these more open-ended goals. So they're not necessarily performing in a way that they're trying to achieve a specific outcome in that performance. And often they'll set goals such as see how well I can do. 
or see how far ahead I can get at this point or see how long I can run for. So it's much more open-ended and it doesn't necessarily have that same barometer uh, from which we would judge success, for example. And it's been quite interesting, you know, thinking about some of the, the participants I've worked with over the years and, and some of them say, I just go out and I try moves that I had no intention on trying in that performance and it was quite spontaneous. And I think that's that's been one of the, the really interesting things. I think in terms of flow and can we make it happen and, and thinking about some work by Christian Swan spoke about this idea of letting it happen and making it happen. And that was through research with professional golfers. And I think with flow, there is an element of, as I said, that that perfect storm and almost that, that needing to let it happen. However, I think, you know, in recent years, we have started to develop a better sense of maybe some potential mechanisms that could be at play. But moving forward, I think some work that we're all really excited about is learning about how we can actually induce flow and what are some really reliable ways for us to do that. Because I still don't feel that in the literature we're really at that point. But I think... It, uh -huh. it would be really exciting if we could certainly move forward in that regard. Right. I think it was quite interesting when you were saying that, for example, when you're experiencing flow, you might be doing some spontaneous mm. uh, new moves and thinking of martial arts. I can certainly see that like with my experience of Thai boxing, that when you're doing sparring and when it's going like really well, like things happen and it's like, oh, did I just do that? Uh, but then if you compare some other sports, like running is something that we are both doing and that's a little bit more um, <laughs> close task in a way, mm -hmm. you know, or, or some other sports where it's uh, very clearly within certain uh, parameters what, what you are mm -hmm. supposed to do. So what is your feeling? Is there... Is flow then quite different in, in different sports if you think of endurance sport or skill sport yeah. or, or something else? I think yeah. that's a really good point, Nora. And, you know, the idea of the sport that I come from, and it wouldn't necessarily always be in, in games that you would have this or training sessions with a team. It's sometimes, you know, you're literally just performing the skills on your own and and you, you might start to try out different things. Oftentimes, you're having quite a bit of fun doing it. Uh, it's really enjoyable. Whereas I think running, yeah. I think just, just thinking about it and, and some of the work that I'm doing at the moment, but also from my own experiences, I think there is an element of what you are actually focused on can be quite different in fl flow when you're running. So I think yeah. oftentimes it's, often what we don't what we don't experience so often when we go for a run certainly when I go for a run anyway um you get those those typical in a stiff couple of early miles to start and, and you're feeling a, a little bit sore whatever it may be and and often I think in flow certainly for me from a running perspective I'm probably not pushing the pace that much when I do experience it and it tends to be a little bit more comfortable yeah. but my attention is quite different. So I am maybe focusing more on the external world and I'm not necessarily focusing on 
how my legs are feeling or how my legs are moving or just how I'm running. So I think there is, I think that's a really interesting one actually to, to, to explore a little more in terms of the nature of those activities and how, how that would impact on it. And yeah, I think that the idea of martial arts is really interesting actually. Um, and how that, that could play a role in terms of, you know, exploring new ranges of motion, even like thinking about something like yoga you know, when you're exploring some new type of skill, um, I think the interactions between that that idea of of letting it happen, but also maybe sometimes making it happen, and and the subtle differences, I would say, um, between those two. So yeah, it'd be interesting to know how that resonates with other experiences as well. Yeah, absolutely. But so you've now quite recently completed two reviews of, of research on flow in, in exercise and physical activity and youth sports. So you are probably the most up-to-date person when it comes to this line of research. And so I would be quite curious on, on we let's do like fairly brief overview. How do you see like, how is this field or this line of research what are kind of the big trends and how is our uh, our ideas and thinking around flow changing and what's happened over the years yeah so i think it's really interesting because i suppose in adult sports some of the, the first work would have been done in the early 1990s by susan jackson so I suppose we have almost three decades of work in that area there was some early work in, on youths that included physical activities in the 80s but in the main we're, we're probably working with about three decades of research in sport and exercise and I think yeah. if we look at the first two decades there was a, a almost a general acceptance that the nine dimensions framework and how we thought about flow was exactly what flow was like in sport and it was almost a a general acceptance, I suppose, that flow is experienced in accordance with the nine dimensions, regardless of what the activity may be. And I think a second key thing, if we actually look at the literature in that first 20 to 23, four years, was this idea that flow is the state of optimal functioning. Um, and, and that essentially suggests that there is only one state that people will experience when they're at their best. Now, mm-hmm. if we look at a lot of that work, I think it certainly has helped to shape our understanding and it's definitely improved us as a field. But what's been really interesting, I think, in the last five years in particular, is that this idea that flow is the only state underlying excellent performance in sport in particular has started to be questioned somewhat in terms of if we look at some of the work in particular by Christian Swan um, and subsequent studies that have used what we call event-focused interviews. Essentially, the findings are suggesting that flow might not be the complete picture and that maybe there are there is another experience that has some overlapping aspects with flow but also has some quite distinct elements. And that has been referred to as a clutch state. And so the clutch state, if we think about performance under pressure, the the term clutch performance is often used. And it's this idea that we 
or able to achieve our goals or increase our performance in a pressured situation. And I suppose the, the original or, or where this originated from was some of Christian Swan's work with professional golf, golfers in 2016. And this idea they spoke about was that sometimes we perform at our best and we're letting it happen. However, there are other occasions when we are making it happen. And I suppose in subsequent studies of the last number of years, that has started, that has also um, been evident in terms of athletes describing this idea that when they're in pressured situations and they're elevating their performance, it is quite intense. It is quite effortful. Um, characteristics which we don't necessarily associate with flow. It's also a state in which the concentration is quite intense. So in flow, what we often talk about is this idea of effortless attention. So even though you are focused on an activity and focused on a task or whatever stimuli you're focused on, it's not taking that much effort. And that contrasts quite substantively with what people say when they talk about this clutch state or clutch performance, because it is quite hard for them to, to focus or it's actually... And demanding a lot of their cognitive resources in order to be able to do that. So I think from that, because I suppose it's it's through these event-focused interview studies that this idea of a clutch state and subtle differences between that and, and flow have begun to emerge, is that we're questioning whether or not A, flow is the, the only state that underlies excellent performance and also the only optimal experience and then secondly, do we need to know more about flow as a result? Do we need to actually refine our understanding of that? And that also goes back a little bit to this nine dimensions framework. So typically we conceptualize flow based on Csikszentmihalyi's nine dimensions framework. And I think if we look at that framework, there are definitely elements of that that are consistent with flow and with more recent conceptualizations that have come through in event-focused interviews. At the same time, however, some of those characteristics could also be part of the clutch state. So that gives us some questions as to whether or not we meet, need a much more refined conceptualization of flow within sport, exercise, and physical activity. And I think one key element which I'm really interested in is this idea of the body and how the body is also part of our flow experiences. Because if we look at this nine dimensions framework, even if we go back to some of the really early work on flow, right back to 1975, and look at Chicks and Mahai's book and look at some of the content there, even at that point, climbers were say, stating that there's some difference in the, their body and the kinesthetic sen sensations when they're in flow. But that isn't necessarily reflected in the nine dimensions framework. So for me personally, I think some exciting areas are definitely refining our understanding of flow. I think that's really important. I think understanding more about the body and flow and the role that that plays and what that actual experience is like and how that differs to when we're not in that state. And for me also, I think having, I suppose, just come out of undertaking those two reviews, I think there's a, there's a real 
need for more qualitative work in this area in particular. Um, you know, if we look at both of those reviews, despite the fact that we'd over 60 studies in those two reviews combined, only two of them um, were qualitative studies, which for a topic like flow, which is well suited to in-depth explorations, is probably quite surprising. So for me, I'd be really interested to explore that a lot more. And I suppose going back to where my, my interest in this area originated, I think, you know, understanding the youth experience for me is would be really valuable because those experiences could potentially be so important if we can learn more about them because people may want to engage in the activities more if they can experience flow states more. Um, they may be more motivated. Uh, they may have a greater desire to be involved. And it's just generally a very pleasant experience. So there are probably a number of areas, actually, when, when you do ask me that question. And... That will be a, a little bit of a snapshot into to some of those points. Yeah, there were so many interesting ideas that we will certainly pursue them. And, and let's talk about the research methods and, and the need for qualitative work just a little later. I think I'll pick up on, you mentioned like the early work on, on rock climbers by Csikszentmihalyi, and you mentioned that for example, the embodied uh, aspect of flow is something that we are maybe not focusing on that or exploring that enough. My own personal question that I'd been interested in the spiritual dimension in sport, mm-hmm. and I, if I remember right, I think in Csikszentmihalyi's like early work, there were some mentions about flow being almost like a, a transcendent or even mm-hmm. like a somehow visionary experience mm-hmm. and and I re- I've been reading like outside of sport there are some some works where is there is like a more explicit link between flow and and spirituality but in my reading that's not very often in in sport and exercise psychology so in sport context flow is very much like a secular idea or or more this kind of optimal state of functioning so uh, yeah I'd be just very curious to hear your thoughts because you've read all this literature so yeah no I I would certainly agree with you on that Nora I would definitely agree and I think there are there are some examples which work I'm just thinking off the top of my head some of the work in in surfing um, about a, a decade ago and this idea of um flow and and the meaning of that to surfers but i would agree if we actually look and strip back a lot of the sport literature the reason it it has been explored is primarily for a performance perspective whereas Mm -hmm. i think it's it's a really important point if we're thinking about meaning as as we're just discussing and the role of flow or the potential role that flow can have um I think going beyond the sport element is actually really important. For a lot of people, we engage in exercise not not just for performance. And I would agree that certainly it's it's an area that hasn't been explored that well. Um, and I think would definitely lend itself very well to to study in particular fields of sport or leisure pursuits, whatever that may be. 
two people and I think you know there has at different times been links made or parallels made between flow and let's say mindfulness um practices and so on but as of yet I would say the spiritual element has probably received very little attention in in the field of sport and exercise which yeah I think is certainly something that would give us another insight and a very nice and different perspective on the experience as well yeah and I mean my my other question because you mentioned then that you are rethinking a little bit the concept of flow and and you're talking about clutch states and so I'm I'm quite curious that in earlier sports psychology also had like these other concepts or they are still there but maybe they are not as popular anymore so for example in the being in the zone or there was some earlier work on like the zen zone in sport which is then like a little bit more <laughs> philosophical or a spiritual idea we can talk about runners high peak performance peak experience there have been like various names for that is somehow similar to what we are talking about when we talk about flow mm. so what are your thoughts on why is flow in some ways the the winning concept that seems to be now the attention of of researchers more than some of these others yeah i think that's a really good question and probably one of the frustrations sometimes as a flow researcher is is seeing other terms used or um assumptions made that certain terms equate to flow so we often hear people that flow is just like being in the zone whereas Mm -hmm. that's not always the case this idea of being in the zone first of all it could be different states we don't necessarily know that it's flow and I think that's one of the the difficulties that we've had is this idea that flow almost gets um, associated with every element of excellent performance if we look at flow conceptually it certainly it has been more research, is much more advanced than all of these other topics. Um, so if we look at it from that perspective, the evidence in this area is more robust and there is much more substantial evidence in this area as well with regards to that. So you know, something like peak performance from, from a psychological perspective, that the element of performance is obviously going to have some objective um connotations associated with it so as the runner's high typically we think about that from the point of view of maybe biochemical changes that may occur after an activity typically um and has that more effective component so i think looking at it from a conceptual perspective the flow state is at a much more advanced position and it's probably the most advanced framework that we have at present to understand optimal experience. Um, so that yeah. would, I think, you know, be a probably a key reason as to why it continues to to be quite prominent in that regard. Yeah, but I think it's very important that you are also challenging this nine dimension framework, and and we should constantly keep thinking of what are we capturing and is there a better way of capturing 
capturing flow. So I think that's that's very interesting work that you are uh, doing at the moment. So I'll just do a quick side note. So what about physiology? So we are talking a lot about this kind of optimal, <laughs> in some ways, mental state. And when I was thinking of our podcast, and I think I had just gone for a run when I was like just really too tired that, you know, on those days running is not like the most fantastic experience. Mm -hmm. I should have had a day off. <laughs> so for us to experience flow, I guess we also need to have at least not like a terrible physical state. So yeah, is the physiological dimension being considered when we are talking about flow? Yeah, so... I think this is a really important one, actually. And um, a study I'm doing at the minute is probably trying to tap into this a little more and learning more, actually, about about the body, about how we attend to different sensations in our body or the absence of typical sensations. So as you said there, sometimes we get out and we go for a run and we feel tired for most of the run. And... Yeah. Certainly in some of the data that I'm currently analysing, there's very clear evidence that sometimes that starts at the start of our run, but after a while mm. that seeps away a little bit. And people generally say that it's not necessarily that they feel amazing in a positive sense, but it's that they mm. don't necessarily feel any negative sensations. So it's, it's quite a different experience. And I've spoken to, to Gareth McNary and uh, Professor Jackie Allen Collinson about this as well and this idea of they've spoken quite a bit about different sociological lenses and how, how we could understand it a little bit more from that perspective. But I would agree, yeah. you know, if we think about even things like performing quite automatically and quite effortlessly, that in and of itself suggests that being in a state where we feel good is important. Um, and likewise, some of that, that positive feedback that people often speak about that is a recursor to experiencing flow is they feel really good, they, they're moving well. Whereas on the flip side of it, when people talk about the disruption of this state, it's often that suddenly they started to feel a little bit fatigued and almost like the alarm bell started to go off in that regard, or they're going up a hill. And now all of a sudden their legs start to, to burn a little bit more. So I think the physical element for me, I think is really important. Obviously at the minute I'm looking at it from a running perspective. And yeah. that has been really interesting in terms of understanding the, those interactions between being in flow and not being in flow. And also how that can often hinge quite a bit on how we're perceiving our body and those, those physical sensations. So I would agree that in terms of flow, the physical element is definitely crucial. And that's why I think I'm so keen to, to ensure that we, we learn more about that because that has in some respect been overlooked in a lot of the literature and um, because of the fact that we've, we've taken this nine dimensions and it doesn't really account for the fact that what we do in sport in exercise and physical activity is physical we are moving a lot more than people in other domains where a lot of this research would have originated so I think from that perspective yeah, yeah. it's important for us to shine a lens on the physical element um, 
especially because, you know, it's probably quite a, a typical thing, certainly from a running perspective, to to have days when when it doesn't feel as good. And, well, how can we learn more about making experiences like that more positive? But, yes, I would agree that certainly the physical um, cannot be overlooked and is in, in ultimately integral to to experiences when we're performing activities that are physical by their nature. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.